What's up, everyone? This is episode number 15 of the Wax Museum podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle, and congratulations to the Toronto Raptors, your 2019 NBA champions. I wanted to get that in here real quick. Obviously, I'm going to talk about that more in a little bit. A lot of you have been commenting on my Instagram this week, which is at Wax Museum Podcast. Some about this possible Luka controversy I talked about last week. Some about this incredible NBA Finals. Well, this Finals and the events that took place inside of it, as some of you have figured out by now, have major ramifications for the rest of the league and for the future of the league. More so, I think, than any other Finals in recent history. Uh, In fact, I almost jumped on the mic and recorded another pod on Tuesday afternoon, but I held out. With that being said, there's been another game since then. I've got a lot I want to touch on today, so here's my plan. I'd like to recap games five and six. I've got a bit of a Warriors eulogy that I want to give here. I want to talk about the KD and the Clay injuries and, and the league, how it's kind of shifting on its axis. Obviously, I want to pay my respects and give a tribute to the 2019 Raptors squad. I want to talk about then Kawhi winning the finals MVP. And I want to save for this last part for the end of the podcast. I want to have a a fun little activity about hobby rookie classes. So I want to talk about the 1996 rookie class, the 2003 rookie class, and the 2012 rookie class. So that's going to be at the end. So you don't want to miss that. Okay, so let's talk about games five and six here real quick. Um, If we go back, game five, so much has happened. It seems like so long ago. It really wasn't. I think it was on Monday. But the thing that struck me about the start of game five and the thing that really stands out in my mind was those 12 minutes that Kevin Durant played at the start and how good he looked and how the Warriors were just firing on all cylinders. They were hitting shots. Um, obviously, Kevin Durant allows them to space the floor a lot better now. They didn't really drive up that big of a lead, but it just seemed like they were running on, on all cylinders. I'll touch uh, more on the KD stuff in a little bit, but despite their early shooting, the Warriors really looked like they were done. And we get to a point later in the game where Kawhi had a pretty significant run of 10 or 12 points. Um, Golden State simply wouldn't go away, though. Game five was an emotional roller coaster, was one of the best finals games I've seen in a long time. And to me, that was, um, even though they didn't go on to win the series, that was kind of a defining moment for this Warriors team, oddly enough. You know, they've already accomplished so much already. That was a defining moment for them. And it really will kind of seal my perceptions of them, I think, when we look back at history. So I wrote that that was one of the best finals games I've seen in a long time. I wrote that part before I even watched Game 6. Game 6 was just as insane. If I'm a Golden State fan coming into this game, my big concern is, where are the points going to come from? The thing that struck me as odd was that they wanted to run this kind of hectic pace that they're used to running, but that requires having stars and shooters that can play 40 minutes a game. Well, when these guys just keep dropping, where are you going to get 110 points from? So let's say Steph or Clay, let's say they go off for even 70, which is not always going to happen, but let's say between the two of them, maybe they have 35 apiece, maybe one has 40, one has 30. There's still 40 more points that need to be accounted for. 
Um, Cousins has been very unstable. You can see that Steve Kerr is only playing or was only playing him because he absolutely had to. Quinn Cook's giving you nothing. I thought this might be a good chance for him to break out. You know, Igudala, who knows when he's going to show up and what he's going to contribute. Draymond might give you 15 or 17, um, even though he's contributing in other areas. So that was kind of my thinking heading into game six here. Remember, we also ended game five where Kyle Lowry had a chance to seal the title in Toronto. Missed the three in the corner. It looks like it might have been blocked just a little bit by Draymond. So Lowry comes into this game and he is just on fire. A couple of those threes he hit were just heat checks. Okay, so he starts this game. He makes 11 straight points. Um, then we see Clay is hitting on the other end. Curry took a lot of criticism for this game. And one thing, though, about Curry is that he was driving to the rim a lot. You know, he was just getting swarmed everywhere. He was dishing the ball out. He, I thought he was putting guys in good spots to at least get a basket at the rim. Well, we kept seeing guys fumble the ball under the basket. So that didn't help Curry any. You know, he's, he's actually creating shots, whether it be for himself or someone else. And they're just not able to take those shots. Um, earlier in the series of Game 5, DeMarcus Cousins, even though he's probably offensively better than a lot of what the Warriors could put out there, he's so bad on defense. He's getting beat every time that it's killing their rotations. So Steve Kerr did something interesting this game that I really enjoyed was that he threw his own out there. And even though you might play zones in high school or college, we don't really see a lot of zones in the pro game. So that that kind of threw the Raptors off for a little bit. I thought that was good. It helped to kind of atone for Cousins' defensive struggles. Um, Steph continued to struggle. Clay, however, is just on fire. Clay is that guy. You, you can just depend on him. When he hit that crazy transition three, you just kind of felt like, man, it's going to be one of those clay nights. And then he got hurt. And I'll talk a little bit more about that later, but he came back out. He hit the free throws. It looked like, well, maybe he can play. He wanted to play is what it seemed to look like, but they weren't going to let him, especially after what happened with KD. The, the Warriors franchise took a lot of criticism for that, so they took him out. Um, Golden State, you know, they still had a chance. I think Igudala ended up giving them maybe 22. So I talked about that a little earlier. You know, where are the points going to come from? Well, he gave them 22. Kawhi wasn't all that great in games five or six, despite, you know, that great run in game five. Um, but the Warriors, man, they just clicked. They had a Van Vliet was, he was that guy that the Raptors needed. I think I, I posted online yesterday, you know, who's going to be that role player that's going to make this series. And in this last game, it was him. He had some other clutch shots as the series went along. Um, so, so kudos to him. He was that guy that the Raptors needed. Kawhi obviously led them though. Um, Siakam had his good games and his bad games, but he was solid overall. So I'm going to talk a little bit more about the Raptors later. But I want to talk a little bit more about the Warriors because, and this is no slight to the Raptors and their fan base, but you got to understand we've had so many years now of the Warriors at the top. So it, it needs to be addressed before we move on to the whole Raptors and, and their tribute. 
I think at one point in this entire Warriors run, you know, this has been half of a, a decade now. Like many other people, I probably suffered from Warriors fatigue. A lot of people have said we need more parity in the league. Seeing, especially seeing the Cavs and the Warriors four years in a row was a bit of a drag. But if this run is truly over, I'm not going to say it is, but the Warriors definitely have some struggles ahead of them. There's a little part of me that's going to miss this. Don't get me wrong, there were parts of this team that infuriated me over time. They seemed very complacent during the regular season, you know, aside from their 73-win season, which it turns out they didn't win the title that year. But aside from that season, sometimes the regular season, they got bored. You know, it didn't seem like that big of a deal. So I don't like watching the Warriors during the season, typically. They, they aren't going to turn up for big games because they understand the big picture here. But when you see them in the context of the big picture and the playoffs and the finals, there's something about that that I'm going to miss. For example, like Steph, when he scored 33 points in the second half of a playoff game, they do some things that we're taught if, if you've grown up and if you played the game of basketball that you're taught never to do, you know, passing in the air, fast break threes, shots early in the clock, but they make it work because of the talent and that's intriguing to me and I like to watch that you know you like to watch that Um, I've heard some people go as far to say that this Warriors team ruined basketball well if this is indeed the end of this Warriors run which once again I'm not going to say it is I think they made the league a better place people are mad about this whole super team thing look they didn't start that that was LeBron in the heat um, but even then, the, the Heat had quite a few amazing veterans and role players to fill in the gaps. So it was still similar to some of the teams that had already won before that, including that Mavs team that beat the Heat. But the Warriors took this concept and they really ratcheted it up to another level. They've had some good role players, but here at the end, they didn't have a lot of good veterans that were latching on and signing those deals. They had to play a lot of young guys that were cheap and, and weren't ready. Jarebko, you know, even though I know he hit a game winner earlier in the year, he was unplayable. Jordan Bell was unplayable. McKinney was unplayable. Cousins at one point was unplayable. Livingston is giving you absolutely nothing. I mean, there's just nothing. And you have these guys out here. Kevon Looney. Man, I am a huge Kevon Looney fan after this series. Obviously, Steph, Clay, Draymond, just giving it everything they've got. Um, there's a part of me that's going to miss that because I don't, I don't think we're going to see them at that level again. But who knows? You know, we don't know. Maybe KD signs back there again. Um, he does have a player option. So let's talk a little bit about KD and where this league is going here. When KD got hurt, a lot of people blame the Warriors medical staff. They blame Steve Kerr. You know, maybe he shouldn't have played 12 minutes that early on. I think that he's since confirmed in an Instagram post that he just wanted to play. And you saw it with Clay last night. The guy tore his ACL. He wanted to be on the floor. But Kevin Durant, despite being incredible in his Golden State tenure and in this run, he's run into criticism at every corner. I've said several times that I think the KD market, if we're talking about cards for what Kevin Durant has accomplished, I think his cards are still selling for way too low. Um, But... On the flip side of that, he hasn't always been a very likable guy. And what he did in Game 5 was probably, going out there and playing, was probably the most endearing thing that we've seen from KD in this Warriors run. People seem to be a lot more sympathetic to it. 
but he paid a price. Um, and it looks like it's going to cost him the entirety of next season. Well, then we had Clay out there the next game giving it his all. He tears his ACL, and it's devastating. The KD stuff bummed me out. The Clay stuff on top of that as an NBA fan made me legitimately sad. I don't even remember seeing two injuries like that to that caliber of a player back-to-back. It's unbelievable. And it definitely changes things going forward because heading into this series, I, and, and I know a lot of other people were as well, I was fully convinced that Kevin Durant was headed to the Knicks. And I thought his cart prices would go up as a result. I was kind of watching him before the playoffs. I want to pick up a nice Kevin Durant card. I ended up picking up a, a smaller patch. Um, I want to eventually get a rookie just because I, I feel like kind of is, I like to collect players of the history of the game and I need something Durant in my collection. I saw a small bump in his prices at the start of the playoffs. I hadn't seen much, much action since he got hurt. Anyway, I thought him going to the Knicks, his prices would probably go up. He's going to a big market. He's going to a new fan base. If he could, and people were like to buy based off of predictions and, and taking a long shot, if he could somehow take that team to a title, Kevin Durant prices and, and Kevin Durant's reputation would be sky high. Because who else has taken the Knicks to a, a title? I mean, recently, nobody. Nobody's been able to do it. And even if on something like that, I, I've talked to some people, if you strike out, then so what? You've still got a card of one of the best 15 players in the history of the game. I think that's where he's going to end up, probably, maybe even top 10. You know, I'd have to think about it. I don't know where I want to put him right now. But if I'm a Knicks fan, this is a devastating injury. He's not even on the Knicks right now. But a month ago, you were preparing the way for Kyrie, KD, and Zion. Now, Kyrie wants to be a net. KD's future is very much up in the air. And barring a trade with the Pelicans, you don't get Zion. You, I think you end up with R.J. Barrett. And if this Kevin Durant injury, and now the Clay injury as well, shows you anything, it's that these pieces have a, a major ripple. Look at a guy like Kyrie. He said he doesn't want to play for the Celtics. That's going to change their plans. He wants to be a net. Well, then the Nets have gone out and they've cleared two spaces, two max spots. So then D'Angelo Russell's probably gone. So that kind of changes the landscape in the East. That's going to open up some spots. Maybe KD sticks with Golden State for a year to rehab. They're still going to give a max offer to Clay. There's not a lot of money left. On top of that, Golden State could very well struggle to make the playoffs. The league is wide open. There are players that are going to be changing teams. I feel like uh, we say this every year, but this is going to be one of those years unlike any other in offseason free agency because the league could really shake up here. League's open, the East is open, the West is open. This Kawhi thing showed us that if you're close to a title, you can put all of your chips in and maybe it maybe it'll even put the next five years of your franchise at risk or in jeopardy. But if you win that one title, you have to think it's worth it. Okay, I'm, I'm a Pacers fan. I've never seen a, a title on 31. I've never seen a title. You know, if there was one move that we could have made before the 2000 finals, that maybe would have jeopardized our next five, six, seven years. But if we would have got that title, I'd still be talking about it today as worth it. We're not even sure at this point if Kawhi is going to stay in Toronto. I think he should stay, but I wouldn't be surprised to see him go to L.A. Look at all these teams that are on the fringe. If you're Boston, 
if you're Philly, if you're Portland, if, if you're Denver, this is when you go all in. The league is at a vulnerable spot. Well, there was one team that did that this year. That was the Raptors. And I want to take a few moments here to pay tribute to our 2019 NBA champions. My suspicions when we look back at this title, and I've already seen some people kind of allude to this already, but my suspicions are that there are going to be an asterisk on this title, just like there are on the two Rockets titles in 94 and 95. Um, Especially if somehow the Warriors bounce back and make a finals run at some point, another one. But look, the reality is that injuries happen, and the Warriors built that team on the backs of its superstars, and... That's just the risk that you take, and it was unfortunate and it was tragic, but that's the risk that you take. If you want to talk about injuries, though, we could also talk about the path that the Raptors took to establish the one seed and take home court. I watched the Raptors a handful of times this year prior to the playoffs. It was really hard to get a grasp on them, though, because people didn't realize just how many injuries they dealt with over time. I think at one point they lost so many wings that they had to bring in Jody Meeks on a pair of 10-day contracts. Seemed like every other time I tried to watch him, Kawhi was resting for load management. So you really couldn't get a good feel on how good this team was, even though they established and they maintained that number one seed in the East. Well, after watching the team consistently now over the last couple of months, I want to point out that Nick Nurse did a really, really good job here in the finals. They've talked about how he's a rookie coach. Look, there were guys like Danny Green or Mark Gasol that had a couple of rough outings and people were ready for them to be benched. He kept them in and it paid off. He really stuck with seven guys and he played them all for high minutes. And this was one of my big gripes against Frank Vogel when he was a Pacers coach. Who knows what's going to happen with him in LA. Or, well, he'll be Jason Kidd in six months anyway. But when Frank Vogel was coaching the Pacers... And when you get to the playoffs, I feel like you've got to shorten the rotation. Show up with your best seven. Frank didn't always do that. A lot of coaches now aren't still doing this. Nick Nurse did it, and I loved it. A few other things that he did. We saw some of the traps on Curry early in the series and then also last night. But it seemed like he was always changing things up. He was constantly throwing guys at Curry. People criticized Steph's performance in this series, but Toronto's defense absolutely hounded him. When Toronto, then when they saw DeMarcus Cousins in, I talked about this a little already, they brought him out on the perimeter, switched the defenders, and then they drove on him. They recognized he could not cover anyone driving to the basket. Kudos to Nick Nurse. Um, P.S. He also has a card out if you're really interested Um, Aside from a Panini sticker, which is out, he has one card from the Raptors team set of Panini Instant. That was a card you have to go online and basically they make it available for a certain time frame. However many people claim them, that's how many they make. So if you didn't claim one at the start, you've got to depend on the fact that someone else claimed extras and they're trying to move them. So I haven't seen a lot of those on sale recently. Um, I do know that Small Town, which is one of our Raptors friends online, one of our Raptors collectors, and I chat with him some on Instagram, he snagged the one-on-one of Nick Nurse for around $15. I thought that was an absolute steal. He's a Raptors collector, so he wasn't looking to profit off of that. That was a great move. If you want a Nurse card, though, you're going to have to save that eBay search, and you're going to have to act quick. 
speaking of cards, pretty much anyone on the Raptors that had any sort of, of role, they saw nice bumps on their card prices for the time being. I went on eBay last night after the big win, just out of curiosity, because I'm always curious to see where the market's going. Well, predictably, it was flooded with Kawhi, it was flooded with Lowry, with Ibaka, and so on, all at high prices. Now, that doesn't mean that they were selling, but all of these Raptors cards are emerging. I've mentioned previously that the playoffs is not a great time to buy cards. Well, I've broken this rule a couple of times, but I also had some people make some good points on my Instagram after I said that. If you collect these guys, sometimes this is the only time that this stuff is listed. I saw some Kyle Lowry cards last night that I had never seen before, and it's one of those things where people want them, but everything has a price. And if you really want it, you have to buy it when it's there. The big winners here overall, I think, are are owners of Pascal Siakam cards and maybe people that held on to Kawhi stuff long term. As far as Siakam goes, though, scoring over 30 points in your finals debut is pretty special. It looked like people were speculating after that that he would continue to have big moments, but no one performed bigger on this stage than our finals MVP, Kawhi Leonard. Kudos to Raptors GM Masai Ujiri for taking the chance on a one-year rental. Kawhi hit a lot of clutch shots during the whole playoffs, and obviously there was the shot against the 76ers that bounced on the rim. One of the things, though, that I really love about him is how hard he crashed the glass this series and how he was always there for that loose ball. Now that he's got that second Finals MVP, he joins a very unique club that has a Finals MVP with two different organizations. So let's talk a little bit, seeing as this is the Wax Museum podcast, let's talk a little bit about the cardboard. Because I could sit here and I could talk about how Kawhi prices have gone up tremendously. Yes, grass is green, water is wet, that's all obvious, right? Rather, I want to take a few moments here and talk about the impact that this has on the 2012 rookie class in cards. And I want to try a little different little activity here, and maybe this will spark some interesting conversation this week on different hobby message boards and hobby social media and, and basketball Facebook groups and whatever. I've seen a lot of people debate about the greatest draft class of all time. And a lot of times this comes down to 1996 and 2003. But I've never seen anyone debate the best hobby rookie class of all time. And the distinction between the two is that not all rookies had rookie cards in their draft year. So there are a couple of reasons for this. Number one, it could just be that um, they didn't make cards in that player's rookie year. So a great example would be 57 tops. Every card in that is a rookie pretty much. Um, Or even like 86 Fleer. Like obviously 86 was not Jordan's rookie year, but that was the first year they had a licensed mainstream card. So there's where our distinction is going to be. I mentioned a couple of these sets already. Our extreme outliers are going to be 1948 Bowman. Everything in that's a rookie. That's where we have our Mike and rookie card. 1957 tops, 1961 Fleer, because you've gone so long without players having cards that they're going to be stacked with rookie cards. 57 Tops has an incredible group of rookie cards. We hadn't seen mainstream basketball cards in almost a decade. To make this whole conversation a little bit quicker, I'm going to, for right now, put 86 Fleer in that category as well and exclude that set because if you look at it, it had rookies of Jordan, 
Dumars, Ewing, Mullen, Malone, Barkley, Drexler, Hakeem, Isaiah, Dominique, and James Worthy, among others. So, as far as hobby rookie classes go, from 1986 onward, we're looking primarily at three classes, in my opinion, here. 1996, 2003, and 2012. Um, There were a couple of other years in between that I think had strong classes, maybe just solid players, like 1999 had a lot of solid players, but we don't see the star power there that we saw in some of these other classes. So 96, 2003, 2012. All three years, by the way, had revolutionary sets that debuted. 1996 had Topps Chrome, 2003 had Exquisite, 2012 had Prism, Immaculate, and Flawless, among other sets goes. So as far as this debate goes, what is the greatest hobby rookie class post-1986? 2012 has a pretty significant advantage here because you have two drafts worth of rookies. So a lot of people forget that there was an NBA lockout, and even though we had the 2011 draft, there weren't any rookies cards that year. We had a few sets of cards, but there weren't any rookie cards. So they combined all of those rookies in 2012. So obviously they're going to have a bit of an advantage, but you got to look at it because what if, what if one of those two classes or even both of them were duds? Well, they weren't, they were both solid. What I think now with Kawhi's reemergence here and the fact that we feel a little bit better about him because with this whole injury thing as prices tank, people weren't sure about him. Kawhi's back. And with his status in limbo this last year or two and Kyrie's instability and Jimmy Butler bouncing around from team to team and so on, we didn't have really a second standalone star to pair with Anthony Davis in this 2012 class that I felt good about that could really anchor this class. Well, now Kawhi's won the finals MVP with two different franchises. And maybe this is obvious, but I want to go through each class real quick to show you just how much 2012 blows these other hobby classes out of the water. So if we look at 1996, a lot is made of that class. Obviously, like I said, it was the debut of Topps Chrome, but really we have four Hall of Famers that are either already in or are going to be a lock, and that's Iverson, it's Ray Allen, it's Kobe, and it's Steve Nash. We had some really good second-tier guys like Ben Wallace, who was undrafted, by the way. We had Marbury, we had Antoine Walker, we had Jermaine O'Neal, we had Derek Fisher. Uh, Pages Stoyakovich was drafted in 96, but I'm going to, for hobby purposes, put him with the 98 class because that's when we had his rookie cards. Um, So there were nine really good guys. You had some others that we could throw in there that had solid careers. Marcus Camby, Sharif Abdurrahim, and so on. The next one I want to look at is probably the most talked about draft class of all time, which is 2003. I think in the past I've put this class above 1996, mainly because of LeBron James, but really this class is is just top heavy with talent. So you've got LeBron, you've got Wade, you've got Carmelo and Bosh. I think those four end up making the Hall of Fame, but then there's only five other players from this draft that have even played in an all-star game. And when you hear these players, you aren't going to be that impressed. It's Chris Kamen, David West, Josh Howard, Mo Williams, and Kyle Korver. And three of those five were one-time selections because of injuries. Okay, now we get to 2012. And like I mentioned, this is when we had the two drafts combined, but they were two really solid drafts. So in no particular order, here's probably the top 10. You got Anthony Davis, Kyrie, Damian Lillard, Kimba Walker, 
Bradley Beal, Kawhi Leonard, Draymond Green, Clay Thompson, Jimmy Butler, and Tobias Harris. And then for honorable mention, you've got Vucevic, you've got Andre Drummond, you've got Isaiah Thomas, which you know now doesn't seem like that big of a deal, but his cards had a huge spike when he was with Boston and when they made that playoff run. Harrison Barnes, which at one point also had his cards were fairly high because he played a pretty significant role on those Golden State teams for a while. Tristan Thompson and Valanchunas. Um, so yes, there is a clear advantage here with the two draft classes, but neither one of them was a dud. They're solid classes and they're filled with stars. So I know that was brief, but I'm just going to throw that out there as a little wrinkle into this this whole conversation about which draft class was better. Well, we're all fans of the hobby, so we, we can talk about which hobby class was better. Um, this is a cardboard podcast. I'd rather talk about which cardboard classes packed the most punch. Okay, so speaking of cardboard here, as I close out today, the end of the season's finally upon us. The draft is next week, but guess what? Panini has plenty of 2018 releases to fill the calendar as we head towards the end of the year. For those of you that like to crack wax, you can look forward to the following releases, which are still going to be considered um, 2018 and 2019, I believe. You have Encased, you have Opulence, um, you have Donruss WNBA, you have Chronicles, you have Immaculate, and you have Flawless. So I know some people are already laser focused on this next draft class, but Panini always manages kind of to suck us in one or two last times with a couple of high-end releases at the end of the year. You guys know I love my Flawless Jumbo patches, so I'll be on the watch for those. All right, guys, that's all I've got for you today. Um, This week is going to be a big one leading up to the draft. I think we might see a couple of trades go down, so I'm going to try and talk about that next week if it's happened by then. Um, Obviously, this also moves the Zion conversation forward, so you know I'm ready for that. I think it's great for the hobby. I also want to try something fun this week. Um, It might be stupid. It might not work, but whatever. Here's the deal. Maintaining a podcast is not free. I'm not asking you guys for money, but I would like to eventually take on a sponsor. And I'd like to get one that offers a product or service that I actually use. So if you follow my Instagram already, you know I love Taco Bell. And I'd love to get their attention. So um, sometime this week, I'd like to cut a quick 30-second Wax Museum podcast theme commercial. And when I do that, I'd love for you guys to comment and tag them. I want to blow up their mentions. I want to get their attention If something comes of it, great. If not, you know what? I tried and I'll move on. So be on the watch for that. As for episode 15 itself, there's a lot of stuff that I went over today in a short amount of time, but now it's time for you to respond. Maybe you think the Warriors run isn't over. Maybe you think the 96 rookie class is still the best hobby class of the modern era. Let me know on my Instagram, which is at Wax Museum Podcast. In the meantime, if you like the content I'm providing, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes or Google Play. Hit up the Podbean site for a link to the merch store, tag Taco Bell and let them know they can pay me in burritos. And until next time, this is the Wax Museum Podcast. Podcast.